CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Monday's edition of To Every Man and Asler as we start off this brand new week, Christmas week. Look forward to uh, being with you each and every weekday afternoon, <clears throat> as we always do. And uh, if you've been reading your Bible, come across something you don't understand. Somebody's asked you a question. You just got some questions you want to ask. Hey, this is the number to call, 8888-ASK-CSN. And we'll do our very best to get to you. Got a couple lines open, so if you want to jump on, you're welcome to do so. That number again, 8888-ASK-CSM. Joining me today, special guest featured CSN speaker, Scott Parker from Calvary Chapel, Festus, Crystal City, Missouri. Hi and welcome. Hi, Mike. It's great to be with you today. Always a blessing to be with you. Looking forward to answering some questions and uh, yes, sir. all these kinds of wonderful things. You know, last week... We had a question about, uh, and I misunderstood the question, and that's my fault, I mean, I I guess. Uh, But they were asking about engines on the wall. And I go, wow, I don't know what in the world that's talking about uh, that was able to shoot arrows. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking Indians. And, (laughs) And, but the old King James uses the word engines. And what it means is a mechanical apparatus to launch arrows is all it means. But I got that wrong, and uh, that is the word. Actually, as I looked it up, I, I realized that it wasn't Indians. It was engines, and uh, based upon uh, the old King James English. So, uh, no, your old King James is okay. Simply means <laughs> simply means an apparatus to launch arrows. So, hope that helps. So, how's things? In uh, in Crystal City, is it uh, is it snowy? Is it cold? Yeah, not not yet, Mike. Now they're saying <clears throat> we're supposed to have a bunch of snow on Thursday, but the temperatures have dropped. It's getting colder, and by this weekend, by Christmas weekend, we're supposed to be like in single digits, and it's supposed to be snow and cold, and oh my goodness! But we're you know we're looking so forward to meeting this weekend. Of course, you know Sunday is Christmas Day. And, uh, you know, Mike, we're one of those radical churches that's going to be open on Christmas Day and still so worship the we. Lord so and teach we. the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. You know, we're really looking forward to it. And we've actually had people contact us, uh, you know, from our area asking, hey, are you having church on, 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 I was going to say Easter Sunday on Christmas Sunday? Uh, because so many churches are not, you know, so many yeah. churches are, are having instead what they're doing is they're just having their Christmas Eve services and not having Christmas morning. Uh, but you know, Mike, I kind of look at it this way, you know, we're, we're not going to have a Christmas Eve service this year because it's on a Saturday. And I'm like, well, why do that? We can have the real thing on Sunday. So that's just my perspective on it. But you know, we couldn't decide here. So. so we're just doing both a Christmas Eve well, service and yeah. a Christmas morning service after, after, after service. Pancakes. That's what we're doing on on oh Christmas my. morning. Pancakes. Everybody that comes gets the movie Jesus. I'm giving that out to everyone. DVD, whether uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Uh, mm-hmm. Want to see you here and and give you a Christmas present. So something I think you'll enjoy. Well, let's go ahead and go to the phones. We have Randy on the line. El Toro 
California. Hi, welcome. Hi, how's it going, guys? Listen, uh, it's good to be on. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so my question is this, is that, you know, obviously Lucifer, the devil, was made perfect, and just correct me if I'm wrong, um, however he changed his mind, they know angels, when they change their mind, that's it. There's no going back. That's why God cannot forgive them, because they were able to make that choice, and they can't, there's no coming back. Um, that said, who's to say that, let's say, the white throne judgment comes along, everybody gets judged, this person goes to hell, this person goes to heaven, it's all done, the new kingdom comes to heaven or to earth, and we're here, we're enjoying ourselves. Who's to say there's another Lucifer down the road that would pop up and this would all start over again? Great question. And I think where the answer is, is in history. Now, again, when you remember, nothing had ever rebelled against God up to that time. Man was, I believe man was already on the earth, uh, created a little lower than the angels, didn't bother Lucifer, the other angels at all. But then the Bible says God said he would elevate this new creation above the angels, call him his bride. I think this is what caused Lucifer to revolt. Pride filled his heart. And whatever it was, it was so... Uh, so of such magnitude that a third of the angels revolted, a third of the stars, the Bible say, revolted with him. Now, again, who's to say, or why, why wouldn't we think there'd be another revolt? Uh, I think all the host of heaven now has seen what Lucifer's revolt has done. So I don't believe that that will be something to cross. Second of all, a person might ask, well, how do I know that in heaven, you know, a, a thousand years after the millennial reign of Christ, we're all in heaven, the New Jerusalem, I won't rebel against God. Well, I'll tell you why. Because you, me, all of us humans, we've all seen what rebellion against God does. That's why we get born again. So when we go simply by just understanding that up to the time of Lucifer's rebellion, there was no rebellion, since there that rebellion, all the host of heaven has seen what that rebellion against God did. All of us humans see what we as humans rebelling against God does. I believe this is why it won't be an issue in the future. And second of all, we'll have a brand new body that's not prone to sin. Your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, that's great, Mike. And, you know, also another way to look at it, look at it and as you see Scripture, is this. Something we have to understand is this. Nor um, Adam or the devil was actually created morally perfect. Now, I know it tells us that when when Lucifer was created, as far as his being, as far as the way God made him, it says, uh, I believe it's there in Ezekiel, I believe it is. It's either Ezekiel 28 or Isaiah 14. I have to look it up real quick. But it says that, uh, you know, he was perfect when he was made. He was perfect in the sense in the way God formed him and made him. But he wasn't morally perfect. And neither was Adam. You know, a lot of people will say a lot of times that when Adam was in the garden, you know, God made Adam perfect. He didn't. Um, a perfect being cannot sin. Jesus was a perfect being. Jesus is God. And when Jesus became a man and took on human flesh, he was still perfect because he, his nature inside, his moral nature, the, his morality and his nature was God. So therefore he was perfect. And Jesus did not sin because he could not sin because he was perfect. But here's the point. Uh, Adam, Adam, though he was, uh, hadn't sinned and, and, you know, and, or let me say it this way until he sinned, 
Adam wasn't perfect, but he was innocent. And the same way with Satan. Satan wasn't perfect morally, but he was innocent until iniquity was found in him. So that's one thing to remember is that, first of all, nobody but God himself, including our Lord Jesus Christ, is perfect. Um, So what's interesting, that's one point. But another point I would say about this is whenever it comes to both humans and angels um, in eternity, because uh, you were mentioning at the great white throne judgment and, and all of that, once once the millennium comes and we come into uh, eternity, what we're going to see is we, after we as believers have been have been resurrected, we've been glorified with our Lord Jesus. We're, we're going to be we're going to be made perfect. In fact, John tells us in First John three that we're going to be made just like the Lord Jesus, and that we're going to be like Him. We're going to share in His glory. And when that happens, we will be set free forever from the presence of sin. In other words, in our glorified bodies, we as humans will never be tempted by sin again. Because once we're resurrected and we're 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 in our glorified state, in that glorified state in which we will be eternally, we will not have the capacity to sin again. We won't have the capacity to turn from the Lord and and make a choice like Adam made in the garden. We will be, if you want to say it this way, galvanized for eternity in this perfect state like the Lord Jesus. Uh, Paul mentions this uh, when he he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when he says, when that which is perfect comes, uh, what he's talking about there uh, about being perfect, he's talking about the eternal state. When when one day everything and everyone who's going to go into eternity with the Lord is perfect, then we'll no longer need, you know, the gifts of tongues and the, and the spiritual gifts. Uh, so that's another way to look at it. Also, what you have to remember is the angels that did not follow Satan, the angels that did not fall uh, when Satan rebelled against God, all those angels that are in heaven right now, and all the angels that are going to return with the Lord Jesus when he comes and that are going to be in heaven in eternity and in the new heaven and new earth, all of those angels in the New Testament are actually called the holy angels. And that's very important because what that's telling us that that language is differentiating those angels who are faithful to the Lord and who are with the Lord and serve the Lord now uh, that language is differentiating them from Satan and the rest of the fallen angels, which we know as demons. So, for instance, in Matthew twenty five thirty one, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So that's just one of the places where it tells us when Jesus comes, the angels will come with him, but they will be holy angels. In other words, these will be angels again, just like we will be in the eternal state. Um, they will be also in that they're holy angels that they won't sin against God. So uh, I, we have no, based on scripture and what I know about scripture and, and as I read the scripture, um, there's no danger for any humans or even angels, uh, who go into eternity into God's kingdom, uh, into the new heaven, new earth, uh, have any, any worry at all. Uh, about turning against God and and uh, rebelling against Him, Mike. Yeah, because uh, again, uh, Revelation one, Revelation twenty two. God, I'm Alpha and Omega, beginning in first and the last. He lives in all times mm-hmm. presence, and so if there was any future rebellion of of uh, angels or anything else, 
I think we would have been told about it, and of course it's not there. But I think there's a reason why it's not there. It's because we do learn from our mistakes. Hope that helps, Randy. (laughs) Wow, guys, what an answer. I mean, that was more than I was expecting. Thank you guys so much. If you can, pray for me. Uh, You know, I'm a Christian man. There's sometimes this doubt creeps in your head that, you know, you're not faithful enough or you're not good enough. And I know that sometimes the devil. I know we're saved by grace, and sometimes I feel like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Am I not saved anymore? I just want that thought to go away. Um, Amen. You know, it's something that beats me up a lot. Randy, I believe that all of us, that it, when you really love God, um, when you really love God, you you always feel that way sometimes. Um, I, I remember I, I had a heart attack about two years ago, and... Um, as I was recovering and I thought about, I could have died. In fact, I did die for two minutes. And I thought, you know, Lord, I just hope I did enough. Not to earn eternal life. I, I, I think we never have to worry about that as, as a Christian, if you're abiding in Christ. But that God, did I do enough? I mean, was there more things I could have done for you? And I am sure that the answer is yes. We always could have done more. In fact, sometimes I wonder about, in the book of Revelation, we're in heaven. The Bible says that the Lord wipes away every tear from their eyes. I often wonder if the tears are tears of remorse, uh, not from sorrow or pain or whatever else it might be. In other words, Lord, it's all true. I knew it was true when I was on earth, but now I see the reality. And Lord, I'm sorry I didn't do more. I'm sorry I didn't didn't just just, uh, recklessly abandon everything else I was doing and just do all of this. I think we all feel that way, Randy. I I do. Um, But, you know, all we can do is what God's called us to do as he opens and closes the doors according to his will. And I, I believe that if we're faithful, I think God will see us through into the next step of what we're supposed to do. So I got to be careful in in being heavy-handed on 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 ourselves or even other Christians. Oh well, look at that person could have done so much more. I want to be careful. I I don't know what what it's like to walk a mile in their shoes, mm-hmm. but I, I I do know that even in our own lives, we've seen missed opportunities as Christians. Oh, I wish I'd have told that person I had no idea they were going to die next week. And I had that chance to tell them about the Lord and I didn't do it. And oh, God, I mean, I I think there's a lot of things like that, that we can look back over our shoulder and have the wish of would have. But I I really believe, Randy, as we just live each day, our Father, which art in heaven, we're his children. And by the way, I've got kids and they do some really kooky stuff, but they're still my kids and I still love them. And so the same way I believe it is with our Father in Heaven. Randy, stay in line, send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, and the movie Jesus as well for calling in, okay? Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. And Lord, may you just grant Randy, Lord, that, that, that peace that comes from you, knowing that he's in you, open and close the doors in all of our lives, so we'll be in your will, in Jesus' name. Stay in line, Randy. We'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Ed Portland. Hi, welcome. Yes, sir. I have a question regarding the timing of the tribulation versus the rapture. Mm-hmm. Okay, Matthew um, chapter 25, I'm sorry, 24, verse 36, 
But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Is that just for the tribulation, or does that also include the rapture? I believe that is speaking of the rapture, because we know when the second coming of Christ is. The Bible tells us it's three and a half years. During the tribulation period, three and a half years into the tribulation period, the tribulation seven years long, when the abomination which makes desolate, where the Antichrist, either himself, a picture of himself, or his name, he puts in the temple, declares to the world that he must be worshipped as God. That's the desecration. Exactly three and a half years from that point is the second coming of Christ, where the Bible says every eye will see him. Scott, your thoughts? Yeah, and I think, too, I agree, Mike, and I I think to really understand this, I don't think it gets any more clear in the Scriptures than in the book of Revelation itself. For instance, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, we have the outline for the whole book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not that hard a book to understand whenever you understand Revelation 119, when Jesus tells John to write the things which you have seen, that's past tense, that would be the vision that John had of Jesus in chapter 1 up until verse 19. The things which are, the things which are the churches in John's day that existed and the church age, because the age, the church is still here. That's chapters 2 and 3. That's where you have the seven letters to the seven churches. The church is still here, so we're still in the church age. So where we're at, as far as prophetically speaking, is my opinion, <laughs> where we're toward the end of Revelation chapter three. Uh, there, you know, some, some churches look like the faithful church of Philadelphia and others look like the lukewarm church of Laodicea. And I think it's becoming even more so. And, uh, those two types of churches, uh, are becoming, uh, the gap between the two are becoming wider and wider in these last days we live in. But what's interesting is when you come to chapter four, Jesus also told John to write the things which will take place after this. And what's interesting is when you come to Revelation 4, it says after these things. After what things? After chapters 2 and 3, after the things of the church, after the church age. And so the first thing we see is how does the church age end? Well, we know the church age ends from other scriptures, of course, with the rapture. But here's what's interesting. When you come to Revelation 4, verse 1, John says, I was looking, and behold, I there was a there was a door standing open. He heard a voice like a trumpet, and that voice of the trumpet was the voice of the Lord Jesus he heard back in chapter 1. And that voice said, come up here. And so John there is, is representative of a faithful believer at the, at, during the last days at, 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 at the end of the church age being raptured into heaven. And then what's interesting in chapters four and five of the book Revelation, what you have is you see John and also 24 elders, which most likely represent the church as a whole around God's throne, worshiping the Lamb of God. And you see that worshiping God and the Lamb in chapters four and five. And then what happens is in chapter six, the Lamb takes the scroll, starts breaking open the seven seals, which begins the tribulation period. So the tribulation period, according to the book of Revelation, starts very clearly in chapter 6, but the rapture happens in chapter 4. That's why in the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5, you see the believers from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in heaven worshiping the Lamb. 
And while we're in heaven worshiping the lamb, after we've been caught up, after the Lord Jesus with his own voice comes in the clouds and says, come up here and all the dead believers rise. And then as Paul says in first Thessalonians chapter four, all the living believers at that time are caught up with them. We're with the Lord now. And so what's interesting is when Jesus then takes that scroll and begins to open those seals, that's what starts the tribulation period. That happens in chapter six. And the tribulation goes on from chapter six all the way until Jesus comes again in the second coming, which is chapter 19. And in chapter 19, who does Jesus come back with? He comes back with his saints. Uh, Jude says, when the Lord Jesus returns, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. Revelation 19 says that when Jesus comes on his white horse, there's a whole army, the host of heaven coming with him. And as you study chapter 19, you will see that those that are clothed in white that are on the white horses behind Jesus are the bride of Christ. They're the believers that were raptured uh, earlier in chapter four. And so, Mike, I, I don't think there's anything clearer uh, in all of scripture to show us the timing of the rapture in relation to the tribulation the fact that it's going to happen, the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, then the book of Revelation itself, it lays it out in chronological order very simply. And, and I think to to try to make the Bible say anything else is is taking scripture and just wrangling it. It's, it's just twisting it and taking things out of context. So I think that makes it very plain. Mike? Yeah. And something, Ed, and for all of us to remember, the tr- the rapture of the church does not start the tribulation period. No. A lot of people think that it does, and it doesn't. The rapture of the church could come right now, today, let's say. And that would be a great thing. Wouldn't that be a great Christmas present? Anyway, (laughs) um, but that's going to leave a power vacuum in the world. And I believe by the time the nations of the world uh, begin to figure it out, the salt light's gone out of the earth, then what's going to happen is they're going to be groping for a world leader. And so it might be six months after the the rapture, a year, two years. In fact, there could be the Ezekiel 38, 39 war that transpires between the rapture and uh, the tribulation beginning. Most people believe, I am one that believed the tribulation period begins not with the rapture of the church, but with a treaty that signed with Israel so they can rebuild their temple. So much in the Bible surrounded the temple. And I believe the end time prophecies, and of course, there is a third temple that will be built. It's found in Revelation chapter 11. John was commanded to go measure it, but leave the outer court out. That is as far as the Gentiles could come. And interestingly enough, it's probably about where the Dome of the Rock Mosque is. Because to the north and the east of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, there on the Temple Mount in Israel, there's about 11 to 15 acres of sidewalks, trees, benches, things like this. This is where I believe the Antichrist will give Israel permission and negotiate the peace treaty that... It will be a, a, a place of all faiths, Chrislam, uh, coexist. And of course, the Antichrist will be hailed as the man of peace of the world. He did something that has not been done for 2,000, 3,000 years in all the Israel and Arabs fighting. And now finally, there's peace. Peace, they say. 
But of course, the Bible says there is no peace. You're never going to have peace without the Prince of Peace. And so that span of time could include between the rapture and uh, the tribulation could, of course, that's going to facilitate the Antichrist coming to power. Um, the Ezekiel 38-39 war, very possibly, if we don't see it. Uh, so, Ed, I hope that shines some light on it for you. If I could just ask a second part of the question. Yeah. What's which, which, confusing is um, I'm reading a book called The Disappearing about the rapture by Terry James and Pete Garcia. I don't know who those authors are. It is forwarded by Dan Markell. On page 85, they're citing Matthew 25, 1 through 6, the parable of the wise and foolish virgin. Verse 6, it states, and at midnight, and they are assuming midnight, in this uh, example is Jerusalem, at midnight, the bridegroom is coming. Now from that, they uh, they they speculate. Um, we would venture to say that the rapture, at least for the United States, will happen during the daytime. The reason for this is Bible prophecy centers its direction based on Jerusalem. We think that would apply the time as well. New York City is seven hours behind Jerusalem. That's what happened at midnight in Jerusalem, Matthew 25, 6. And that would be 5 p.m. New York City, right in the middle of rush hour evening traffic. I don't know how they're speculating all this, but I think that would be the rapture would occur at 3 o'clock um, twin fall time. So mm. I, if you could help me with that one. Well, you know, we don't know. We don't know the hour or the day. Very clearly, Jesus said that. Uh, but we will know the season. Now, again, he's not talking about the second coming of Christ, where every eye sees him three and a half years after the abomination makes it desolate. It nails it. It pinpoints it to the day. But the rapture, we don't know. And the Bible says, as in the days of Noah were, Matthew chapter 24, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Party time. And then a global judgment came on the people. Now, here's what's important. Right now, it's eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Party time. They don't realize there's a global judgment coming, just as it was in the days of Noah. So I hope that shines some light on it for you, Ed. Stay in line if you like. Send you out some books, some DVDs. We're coming up on a break, everyone. We don't want you to go away. When we come back, we'll have more to Every Man and Answer right after this. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, just watching your hard-earned dollars flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option. It's called MediShare 65+. Plus. And MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills. It really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. 
MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years, and you can use your Medicare-approved doctor, and you also get telehealth 24-7 service, so you don't have to leave your home for the little stuff. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're easy to talk to. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. The meaning of Christmas is all about the miracle of life when Christ came to earth as a baby to bring life to all. Preborn pregnancy clinics share the miracle of life every day as they meet women in crisis pressured to end their unborn baby's life. And every day, Preborn rescues 150 babies' lives by introducing babies to their mothers via ultrasound. But that's only the beginning. Preborn shares Christ with them and offers assistance for up to two years after birth, all for free. And this miracle of life often saves the baby and the mother. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life will be without her. To learn how you can help rescue a baby's life, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. This is CSN. Back to part two of Every Man and Answer here on this Monday afternoon with Scott Parker and I'm your host, Mike Kessler. We're going to go right back to the phones. We have Nick on the line in Idaho. Hi and welcome. Hey, pastors, long time. Um, so my question was in uh, Mark chapter four, verse 12, seeing that they may see and not perceive um, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Um, and I know that it's out of Isaiah, but also... Um, was Jesus talking about the Gentiles here or the children of Israel? Um, because my pastor, we've been going to a church, he was saying that um, this is talking about the Gentiles who haven't received the gospel yet. And I just wanted to hear what you thought about that particular passage. Well, we have to look at it in context. And so the first part of it, <clears throat> we want to go back and uh, look at verse 10. Now, you're, the verse in question is uh, Mark four twelve, but we're going to get to that in a second. It says, but when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. There were 12 and the others that were around him asked him about the parable. Now, notice this. This is so important. Verse 11 is the key to understanding verse 12. He said to them, Now, those that were close to him, those that heard him teach, those that heard him teach in the temple, the disciples and all, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, again, that is very important. There's a semicolon there, which means that's a a thought break because of this reason. You're around me all the time. You hear me talk about the kingdom. You understand the kingdom. You have a good concept of what the kingdom of God is. However, he goes on and says this, but, and there's the, there's the word, 
but to those who are on the outside. In other words, not part of the inner circle that hear me teach all the time. He said, but those that are on the outside, all things come in parables. Now, why is that? Well, I'm glad you asked because this is where verse 12 comes in. It starts off with the word so. Now, people outside of the family of God, people outside the teachings of Jesus, they don't understand. And you'll find this even today, they don't understand. So what a parable does is take a heavenly concept and breaks it down so the average person can understand it. The parables were never meant to baffle people and cause them not to be able to understand. I've heard that taught. It is wrong because actually, if you go back, when Jesus was talking about the parable that caused this question to be to be um, brought up, <coughs> it says, he said to them, he who hath an ear, let him hear. That's what he was saying. In other words, go Think about what I'm telling you. Go try to grasp this heavenly concept using an earthly description. That's what a parable is. Seeing that they may not perceive and hearing that they may not understand, lest they would turn and their sins would be forgiven them. He's saying, it's not that I'm trying to tell them stories to confuse them so they don't understand. I'm telling them parables so seeing, they, because seeing they don't understand, hearing they don't, they don't get it. You have to put the gospel, and today is no different. You have to put the gospel in a place where they will understand it so they'll respond to it because then they'll repent and come to God. Your thoughts? Mike, that's exactly right. And you know, Jesus spoke in parables not to blind the people, but because the people were blind, because they didn't understand. God, you got to remember, God had sent his prophets to the nation of Israel, and they stoned them, they killed them, they rejected them. Uh, they didn't want to hear what they had to say. And so here comes now Jesus. And in fact, Jesus told a parable about this very thing. He told a parable about a man who had a vineyard, and he sent his servants and uh, what they did is they kept killing all the servants that the vineyard owner kept sending until he sent his own son and they killed him also. You know, uh, so what Jesus is, is doing there, he's just saying that because these people are blind, I speak to them in, the, in this way, hoping that they will grasp it, hoping that they will turn from their sins and and receive salvation and come to uh uh, you know, come to that place of salvation. That so, Mike is exactly right. That's the whole point. He's he's not he's not speaking this way uh, in order to make them blind and make them deaf. They're already blind and deaf, and Jesus is trying to make it clear to them uh, so that they can turn and and, and be forgiven. Uh, you know, when it says there, you know, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven, it's not like Jesus is like, I don't want them to. No, He wants them to. You know, and he's so he's going out of his way here uh, to make it plain. But you got to think about this when Jesus takes, you know, heavy spiritual realities and truths and explains them in such simple ways by using, you know, agriculture and using, you know, different things that they were familiar with every day. And, pe and, and those people who still didn't get it 
what was happening was the truth that Jesus was giving them was was what it was doing. It was proving the condition of their heart, that their hearts were hard and that their that their ears were were closed off from the truth. And so um, when Jesus taught in parables, what it did is it made the the chasm wider between those who really had a heart for God and wanted the truth and those who didn't. So, Mike? Yeah, and verse 13 even summarizes it. Jesus says this, And he said then to them, Do you not understand this parable? That's the one that was right before uh, verse 10. He said, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? You, you don't, you, you're, not, you're not getting it. And see, so we understand. Let me put it this way. If you've got children or grandchildren, and they come into that wonderful part of their schooling where they get into fractions, you know, one-fourth, one-half, one-third, and you begin to try to explain to the, your children that one-fourth is smaller than one half. Well, how could a four be less than two? So you begin to use parables, not to confuse the child, but to explain to them, well, we have a pie here and we cut it into four pieces and you want one fourth of the pie, you get one fourth or which is bigger, one half. Oh, now I get it. That's the idea that Jesus was conveying. But even at times he was marveling at how oftentimes blind his own disciples were. Hope that helps, Nick. It does. Thanks. Yeah, God bless you. Stay in line. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs I think you'll really, really enjoy. And again, I believe that is such an important thing that we all do. Let our light shine. Stay in line. We'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Ernst in Arlington, Texas. Hi, welcome. Yes, sir. Um, Matthew 24, uh, Jesus speaks of um, we'll, we'll face trials and tribulations. Yes. But then he says, uh, then this is the beginning of sorrows. And then later on, he starts going, talking about the tribulation period. The beginning of sorrows, is that the beginning of the tri- tribulation period? Or is that a set time? I believe we're in that myself. I think we're, in, we're, we're entering into the, the age of sorrows. We're, we're seeing things that are absolutely unequivocally wrong that are being pushed on our society, the world, as normal and right. I believe that, that we see the wars, the rumors of wars. I think we see the... the <clears throat> The things that go on, look at the people in the Ukraine. I mean, they're, they're just existing, and, and uh, they're getting their houses blown up. You go into, and you look at Uganda and some of these other African nations, and they don't have much to begin with, and then what little they have, they're blowing it up. It, it breaks your heart. I, I, I look and see the, the problems and the trial, the perplexity among men, problems with no way out, the Bible says. I believe this is why when we get to this point, um, I, I think we're, we're, we're in that. That doesn't mean that necessarily it has to affect every believer on earth. But I believe if you really are a believer, you'll empathize. You'll feel what they feel when you see these things go on around the world. Your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's another way, too, if, 
if, to look at this, I totally agree with Mike. I, everything that you see there in verses five through seven, uh, which Jesus calls the beginning of sorrows, all of those things we can already see um, them beginning to happen now. We we have been seeing them for a while now, and they seem to be increasing. Well, what's interesting is th- those words, the beginning of sorrows, um, literally in the Greek, what it speaks of is it speaks of the birth pains of a woman. When yes. a woman is pregnant, what happens is the closer she gets to giving birth, her her birth pains or uh, her contractions become more frequent and more intense. So here's what's interesting. If you take verses five through seven and you line them up and, and, and line them up with the, the seal judgments in Revelation chapter six, you will see that they fit perfectly in order. In other words, in, in chapter, in verse five, Jesus says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Well, the very first seal that's opened is the Antichrist who is going to, you know, start off the tribulation by coming as a man of peace, as Mike said earlier, making a, a covenant or a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Uh, but of course, he comes with a false peace. So what's interesting is if you look at every one of those signs that Jesus gave in verses five through seven, they are listed in order as the first six seals in the seal judgments, which begin the tribulation. Now, here's what's interesting. If we are already seeing these signs beginning to happen now, what's that tell us? It tells us that every one of these signs, as we get closer to the coming of Jesus, what's going to happen is each one of these signs are going to get more frequent and more intense. And I believe that that these are exactly the signs that we see at the beginning of the tribulation. I think actually these are the signs of the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years. But what's interesting is the closer we get to that time before the before the rapture as the when the rapture happens before the rapture happens we are going to see this more and more. Um, you know, Mike, I've always said this. I have always been of the belief that whenever the rapture happens, you know, as as I read scripture and I study scripture, I'm of the belief and always have been that as believers, I think when the rapture actually does happen things in the world are going to be so bad that I think a lot of believers are actually going to think we're in the tribulation because of the things they're seeing in the world and the things they read in scripture. But remember, they're like birth pangs. They're the, and, and Jesus said, these are just the beginning of sorrows. So no, this, this isn't an outline of the whole tribulation. This is the stuff that's going to happen just in the first half of the tribulation. But for that to happen, all of that has to be set up, and that's what we're seeing right now. We're we're living through these birth pains. We're we're living in the beginning of sorrows now, and so just imagine when the church is raptured. Then how intense all of these signs are going to get. And to find that out again, you just read Revelation six and you see the seals there. So it's it's really interesting. I, I you know Mike, I remember Pastor Chuck always saying this. I remember him, him talking about telling his wife. Um, you know, I, I know when Thanksgiving is close because I see the Christmas decorations. <laughs> and so what's interesting, you know, when you start seeing, you start seeing Christmas decorations now in the stores, like in October, what's that tell you? Well, that's Halloween's close. Yeah, but they're Christmas decorations. Well, the Christmas decorations are coming, are, are for Christmas, which is December 25th. 
but you're seeing them in October, which means what? Well, that means Halloween and, and, and Thanksgiving is even sooner. So what's interesting is when we see these signs that are going to happen before the second coming of Christ, but we see them already beginning to happen now, what's that tell us? It tells us that the coming of Je- I'm sorry, it tells us that if the coming of Jesus is close, the rapture is even closer. We're that much closer to the rapture happening. Of course, of course, the rapture happens, you know, seven years or plus more, as we've already discussed, uh, you know, uh, before the second coming comes. So that's a very interesting thing. So this beginning of sorrows, as Mike said, I totally agree. We're, we're already seeing these things happen now, but because they're like birth pangs, they're going to get more intense and more frequent to where when the church is raptured, then they're going to go full blown into those first six seals. So Mike. Yeah. And you have to remember that the tribulation period <clears throat> is God's wrath on the earth. It's not the devil wreaking havoc on man. Very much opposite. Right. It's God's judgment on a God-rejecting world. That's what it is. So the reason why we say that and why that's important to understand is God has not appointed his children to his wrath. And why would he subject his bride to his wrath? Makes no logical sense. So when we see this, though, we understand that because of the birth pangs, because of the of the perplexity among nations, the problems with no way out. Because of these things, people are looking for answers. And this is where I believe the Bible says, redeeming the time, the days are evil. Mm-hmm. It isn't going to get better and better, friends. It's going to get darker and darker. What is evil is good. What is good is evil. We see it promoted on a wholesale level through television, through the movies, through the the governments of the world, these things are evil. And there is no society that can live with this kind of evil and remain a society. That's why God said it was sin way back in the Old Testament. God knows what it takes to hold a country, a society, a, a people together. When you do this kind of crazy stuff we see going on right now called normal, No society in the world will survive. So understanding that, redeem the time, the days are evil, be about your father's business and lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. That's where the Bible says our reward and where we will be forever. Ernest, hope that helps. It does. God bless you. Stay in line. We'll we'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, okay? Thank you, gentlemen. God bless you. Merry Christmas to you. Let's go to Angela in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, welcome. Hi. Um, glad you're taking my call. Um, I just recently read that in Luke twenty three forty three, the comma is in the wrong place. That is before the word today, but it should be because of Greek text after the word today. That comes from the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they're one. wrong. Here they're hanging on a cross. They're breathing out their very last words. Jesus was telling the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because you see, there was no hope for any other time. But for somebody hanging on a cross and dying, well, I tell you today, what kind of insane thought pattern is that? I tell you today, Basically bloviating? I don't think so. 
Jesus was making a very clear statement to a thief that said, we deserve to be up here, but this man has done no wrong. Remember me in your kingdom. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is where the Jehovah's Witnesses go way off the rails, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament. They came to Jesus because, you see, they believe in soul sleep. And for those that aren't godly, a Jehovah's Witness, uh, annihilation. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Do you realize that Jesus spoke 11 times about hell in the Gospels? 11 times. It's a really bad place. He gave up all of heaven, the worship of heaven, to come down to keep man out of that place. That's so important. A man came to Jarius. uh, uh, Jarius came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my daughter is grievously ill. Will you come and pray for her? While the Bible says he was talking to her here in the book of Luke. While he was yet talking to her, his servant came and said, trouble the master no more. Your daughter is dead. Jesus said, let's go anyway. He goes to the house. He puts everybody out except a couple of his disciples. He prays for the little girl and says, daughter, arise. And here's what the Bible says. Her spirit returned to her. It does not say woke up inside of her. It says, return to her. Also in the Old Testament in Kings, where Elijah prayed for a little boy who had died, the Bible there also says his soul returned to him. The reason why they have to wrangle scripture, as you used that word earlier, is because they don't believe that you uh, you go on once you're once you're you breathe your last. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But they disregard all those as they hopscotch through the Bible to prove their weakened points. This is the problem, line upon line. Actually, the Bible says precept upon precept, line upon line. That's the way we are to learn God's word. Not hopscotching through the Bible to prove an idea or a thought based on a fragment of a verse. But we look at everything in context. And when the Bible says something about, about dying or falling asleep or whatever, what is the context? We know the Bible says in the book of Acts, and Stephen fell asleep. But that was talking about his body. It's already established in the rest of Scripture to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Whether you look at Jarius' daughter, the story of, of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus gave, where it says they both died. The Bible says the angels came and got Lazarus. As for the rich man, he was buried. But we find them both in Abraham's bosom. The one, uh, excuse me, we find Abraham, we find uh, Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, the rich man was in the torment side of Sheol awaiting the great white throne judgment where all of your works come to full fruition and then you'll be judged. Now the Bible says in the book of Jude who will suffer the torment of eternal fire forever. Listen, don't believe any cult that says there is no eternal hell. There's two things every cult has in common. Number one, Jesus Christ is not God. He's one of the greats. He's um, uh, Lucifer's brother. Uh, He's, um, uh, well, I'm Jesus. You're Jesus. We're all Jesus. 
No, the Bible says he's God's only son, John 3, 16. That's the number one. Number two, they all deny an eternal existence of hell. I think it's really interesting they all have those two things in common. I believe it's probably because the devil has lied to him to the point. Again, Jesus spoke 11 times about hell in the Gospels. We find all these other references where their spirit returned to them. When the Bible says they fell asleep, that is speaking of this old shell. And we're going to get a new one one of these days. But as Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Your thoughts? Yeah. And Mike, you know, we do have to understand, don't we? When we read the New Testament, we have to understand the euphemisms. We have to understand uh, so many times the word sleep doesn't mean sleep. It means death. It's just a to say that a, a believer is sleeping is just a beautiful way to say their body is dead. It's in, it's in the ground, but their spirit and their soul is alive with the Lord. What's sleeping is the body. The, the body's just laying there because it's dead. Uh, but but the soul and spirit are with the Lord, and, and so the person's not actually sleeping. It's just a euphemism, and uh, we have to understand that. Second Corinthians five, as you quoted a moment ago, you know Paul talked about our bodies in the terms of being tents, uh, physical tents, you know, and uh, so this body is just a shell. That's all it is. The real us is on the inside, and it's very clear, Old Testament, New Testament, that when a person dies. Uh, that their spirit and soul goes to be with the Lord as believers. Um, and um, when it comes to unbelievers, um, we see so many times in the scriptures, both in the Old and New Testament, that their soul and spirit uh, go to hell where they await judgment, um, the great white throne judgment, to where then they'll be cast in the lake of fire. So the Bible is so replete with so, with so many scriptures about this subject. And Mike, I actually had my Bible open to uh, to Luke 16, <laughs> what you quoted a moment ago. Again, you know, with Lazarus, as soon as he died, boom, he was there in paradise. He was there in Abraham's bosom. So uh, it's just so clear. So yeah. uh, we, when you but you know when you know the truth of the scripture, it's easy to recognize what's false, isn't it? Yeah, and and this new world version that the Jehovah's Witnesses used, they revised it in 2013 with 10 percent <laughs> less words than. The previous, I guess you might say it, um, New World Version Light. Well, if we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and they're eliminating 10% of the words, things that make you go, hmm, that's right. Again, you don't rewrite the Bible to suit your own belief. Again, we go back to the Texas Receptus. You go back to, to the Alexandrian text. We'll never substantiate the New World Version, in any way, shape, or form. It just doesn't. And they won't even tell you who their Bible scholars were that, so to speak, their Greek scholars who translated it from the Greek into their version. But then again, you have the problem of 2013, 10% less words. Again, Angela, things that make you go, hmm. Stay in line, Angela. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs, and movie Jesus, okay? Thank you. God bless you, dear. Merry Christmas to you, and we'll get those out to you. As for Jennifer and Cherry, please call us back. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow. No waiting, I promise. And uh, want to be sure you get uh, the DVDs and the books as well. And uh, thanks, Scott, for being on. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's always a pleasure. Always a blessing to be with you. Look forward to being back with all of you tomorrow. And so until then, remember, keep looking up. Our redemption draws nigh. God bless you. Good night. 
To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 